Hey, this is Daryl. Thank you for listening to the Total Soccer Show. On today's show, I'll be talking to Benny Farhaber about his national team career. It's a really good conversation and I look forward to you listening to it. But first, today's show is sponsored by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, LLS. LLS is hosting a trailblazing event, the Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, and it's to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures, first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. To get involved, to step up to take cancer down, you can climb 61 floors or 1,762 steps. Do it any way you want to do it, but to get involved on June 13th, you got to do it. So join LLS on June 13th from coast to coast as they come together to climb, conquer and cure. Register at lls.org slash big climb. And welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove, and I'm joined by one third of the BSI podcast. His name is Benny Failhaber. Hello, Benny. How's it going, Daryl? Thanks for having me on, man. We uh, we're big fans of the show, and we've uh, been trying to emulate you guys for a while now. So it's it's fun to be on here. Well, it's an honor to have you on. It's an honor anytime we have a U.S. Men's National Team player on the show. Former, and former, <laughs> former. Um, well, you never know. Call-ups might be coming in the future. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, it's also, honestly, we're big fans of your show. Really, really like the BSI, the podcast. Um, it's The way I would describe it is players comfortably talking to each other. Right. Is that fair? Yeah, that is fair. And I would even argue that since your retirement, you've got even more comfortable talking. Maybe, maybe a yeah. little bit looser about what you feel you can talk about, but also maybe you've had more time to sort of think about how to structure the show and all that. Right. I think I think it's a little bit of both. Experience for sure plays a part. I mean, we, we, we should actually have a training session between me, Ike, and Sal to go back and listen to the the very first podcast and be and criticize ourselves because that would be a good learning experience in terms of, you know, where we've come from and what we're doing now. So I think we've improved a lot on that end. And then in terms of, you know, retirement, there's kind of a fine line because yes, you're not playing in the game, so you kind of can you know allow yourself to have some 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 bigger you know more specific perspectives but at the same time I might be working in this league at one time so you you got to be smart about the things <laughs> that you say as well to some extent uh, whereas when you're a player you know where you're at you know the things that you can and you can't say so it it's uh it's a fine line but I'm I'm getting used to it well I'll give you an example um it's, I, actually there's a little bit of Mark Marin I think about your show you familiar I with love Mark, Mark. You love yeah, my yeah, okay. I, so, I watched. Uh, I watched this. Not. I don't listen to much of his podcast, but I watched his show. Okay, so the podcast, especially in the early days, was a lot of yeah. Mark Maron would have a comedian on, and they talk about comedy, and he'd do a great interview. Right, he'd get great things out of his guests, but it would also they'd end up talking about Mark Maron's career and maybe things that he wished had gone differently <laughs> or <Right>. th- <laughs> decisions he wished other people had made. And I was just listening uh, to your interview with Moedou from April and you were talking about the 2008 um, Olympic roster and Mm. Peter Novak and that just reminded me of Mark Maron right because you you had like a little tangent about like maybe what you thought the makeup of the roster should have been yeah that's the thing that happens a lot with the podcast is because it's so free-flowing and people are so uh I mean they're so 
open to the things that we experience together. Cause a lot of these guests experience stuff together with us, you know? Yes. And so Mo's obviously one that I went with to the world cup, to the Olympics. Um, I experienced a lot of things with him and, and, and then stories like that come out where we're both there where in fact, we're trying to talk about him, but then it, it comes in, and it's a story about me a little bit. And so, um, it's fun, man. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing I, I'm open to, to talking about those kind of stories, especially because our guests are open to talking about yeah. it. And so, um, yeah, it was an interesting one and, and, and it's, it's actually interesting to me to hear other people's perspectives as well, because, um, you know, I consider myself a very unbiased person, but I think more time goes by, you kind of forget how some people felt during the time or how it made them feel. And so that, that story with, uh, the Olympics was interesting with Peter as the coach, um, the, the qualifying with me and Freddie kind of having a, a a loud screaming match, I guess, yeah. uh, in, in, in one of the, uh, training games before qualifying. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting for fans, I think, to hear that kind of conversation and see what happened behind the scenes where, you know, the only thing that they really see is usually the games. And so I'm sure that's pretty interesting for the fans. It definitely is. Yeah. And for, you know, I'm, I'm in a weird in-between space of being like fan and media. So for me, right. it's fascinating as well. Yeah. And I won't spoil that Freddie story. I would say go listen to the Moe Do episode. I'd love to have, have Freddie on the show so we can yeah. talk about it because... I mean, one thing I can say about myself is that I, I'm a pretty vocal person and I, I'm sure I get on people's nerves sometimes, but I'm also, you know, I'm, I'm willing to talk about anything and, and kind of get it out in the open and, 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 you know, kind of solve our differences. But, um, it'd be fun to get Freddie on the show. Obviously he's had a really, uh, crazy career as well. So I also want to talk about how the podcast came together. Cause I've never heard that story. For example, why is it with Sal, Zizzo and Ikapara? So were you, three, actually, were you always buddies or like, what, what's the deal there? So me and Ike have been really good friends since we met in Kansas City. We both, I think we got traded to Kansas City like a day apart um, in, in the offseason 2012-2013. And um, we just kind of, you know, we clicked. We were there for five years together as well. So uh, just a really good dude, uh, you know, a really good friend of mine. Uh, in terms of like players, uh, if you don't count, you know, high school, college friends, you know, he's one of my best friends in, in, uh, in, in the game, in the sport. And, and Sal... Sal's a guy that played in, in Kansas City as well during 2014. He was only there for a year, but we started the Benny uh, Failhopper show together and he was, you know, the co-host and that, you know, I, actually now I think you can't let, watch these on YouTube anymore. They used to be on YouTube, um, but um, we basically had a lot of fun with it. Kansas City fans loved it. It was kind of like a talk show where we had one guest and and I was the the host. I was yeah. the you know Jay Leno or David Letterman, and he was whoever. I think Kevin Eubanks uh, was like Jay Andy, Leno. He'd be like Andy Richter if you were Conan. exactly yeah. yeah yeah with uh, uh, who's Andy Richter with Conan? Conan yeah yeah exactly. So but yeah so Sal was funny. It was a good show and people loved it. And so we thought especially and Sal had kind of been asking me like we should start a podcast and let's do this. And I'm like ah, I don't know. I was in, still in the middle of my career. And then when we moved, when I uh, got traded back here to Kansas City, I asked Sal, I'm like, Sal, if we're ever going to start a podcast, this might be the time to do it because we'll probably get all our fans from the Benny Failhopper show since I'm back here in KC. So we started doing it. And uh, we, I don't think we had any, uh, any thought that this is what it would develop into. Yeah. Um, it's, it, was, it was more something like, let's just, you know, let's do a little show. Let's interview some guys. Um, let's get our name out there in terms of media and like what we can do. And, um, yeah, it's turned into something pretty cool where I don't think anybody expected it to to become this big. And and Ike actually came on to so he was our guest on the second episode, but there was already kind of a conversation with Sal. I'm like, 
hey, I think I think we need a third third guy. I think Ike would be perfect. Um, he's outspoken. He, you know, he, he's a guy that gets answers out of people. And then we together kind of figured out the Ike's interrogation thing as well. And so, um, he jumped on, on the third episode and it's, it's been us three ever since. So this is genuinely organic then, right? There's no like uh, mastermind producer behind the scenes who put you together like a boy band, right? This is just a yeah, thing that you of. guys I mean, happen to I, do. I don't, look, I want to give credit to Nino. Sal's brother is our producer. Okay. Uh, he literally does everything that 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 you don't see so he he runs the social media platforms he set up you know where we're going to put the podcast and uh, you know advertising and 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 getting it out to to people and and he does a really good job of of running all that and editing obviously which um you know is is not the easiest thing sometimes especially as an amateur so we don't have all the people working behind the scenes it's just nino so he's uh he's a big part of it as well so you guys finish it up send it to nino and that and that's the last you see of it until it publishes yeah, he'll he'll sometimes send it back to us and be like, "Hey, is this part okay?" We'll tell him, you know, "Hey, maybe this thing is we should we should cut it." We always ask our guests, "Hey, is there anything that you said that you don't want out there?" Because our point is not to you know get anybody in trouble in any way, but it's to you know kind of show everybody a true light of every what they are outside the field and give them some inside stories. And so we always ask the the guests, "Hey, is there anything that you said that you want out?" And it's and it's really rare that it happens, but sometimes there is. And we'll tell Nino, okay, this this stuff out, but just for the most part, just you know, make it sound good. Figure out sometimes the audio is off. You know, sometimes <laughs> my mic is hot, so then he has to, you know, dude, he does stuff. I don't know how to do it, but um, he's uh, he's really good at it. So I uh, I applaud him for that. Well, speaking of inside stories, uh, what I want to do, Benny, is go through pretty much chronologically your U.S. men's national team career because okay. that is honestly the thing that most of our listeners all have in common is they're all U.S. men's national team fans, right? No yep. matter which MLS or Premier League team they support or whatever. Um, I'm not sure how many Derby County fans will have listening, but I want to touch on <laughs> that as well. Um, but I want to I start with uh, your first call-ups to the national team, which as I understand it is you didn't get on the field, but you were called up in 2005 and 2006. Yes. Um, could you talk us through a little bit about how that happened? And I'm really interested in specifically how you hear about it right? Is it a phone call? Is it an email? Does it come through the club? I want to say you were at Hamburg at the time. I was at Hamburg. Yeah. Well, both, yeah. So, both, so can you talk games. us through the, the process of how you find out you've been called up? Yeah. So honestly, I, I wouldn't have been able to remember this. Uh, so it's funny that you mentioned these stories because um, the games were against Scotland 2005. I think it was in November. I had become a pro four months prior and um, I, I I wouldn't have remembered, you know, how I heard it other than I actually went through some, uh, I kind of got into looking at random YouTube videos of my past. Oh, nice. And, and it came up this 2005 call up where it was me, Heath Pierce and Chris Rawl for the first time call ups that game. And we all told our stories about, you know, how we found out and I found out through my dad. So they didn't have my cell phone number. They, uh, apparently they didn't. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they contacted Hamburg, but it wasn't through Hamburg that I had heard. Right. And and so my dad called me at a uh, I think it was extremely early in 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 Germany at the time and really late for him in California. And he called me, he said, hey, I just heard from U.S. Soccer Federation that they want to bring you in to, you know, the Scotland game in November or whatever. And I mean, I'm shocked at this point. I had the crazy thing about my national team career, both in a in a positive and a negative, is that it started off in a really quick ascend. Yeah. 
and then a really quick descent, you know, on the back end. But in in, in the beginning, I, I mean, I was I was at UCLA. 2005, I was still at UCLA. I hadn't been ever called up to the U20 national team up until the end of 2004. And Ziggy became the coach. I was called up to 2004. I made the Olympic squad, or sorry, the under-20 team for qualifies for qualifiers. Then I played in the under-20 World Cup. Then I became a pro. And then four months later, I got called up to the national team. So within a year, I went from never having been called up to any youth team to being called up for the national team. And so um, it was like one crazy thing after another during that time period. And um, yeah, it was special. Is it fair to say that you weren't on the radar because you were at Hamburg then? You were on the radar because you'd already been sort of in the system as a U20 player? I, I'm not sure. I think, I think it had to do with my, obviously a quick rise because I came out of nowhere for the U twenties. I, I had a really good U 20 tournament. So at that U 20 tournament, not only did, you know, Hamburg and a few other professional teams see me and kind of, you know, be interested in me, but I'm sure the national team at that point saw me as well and thought maybe this is a guy that we can start giving some caps to, yeah. um, more for the future, but you know, start giving some caps to, and, and, and it being a game in Europe, you know, you, you try and give some players that are in Europe uh, the chance to kind of come in and, and feel it out. And to be honest, during that first camp, I kind of felt like I wasn't going to get a, a, a cap. Um, that's like this is arena, know, right? This is this. This was Bruce. Yes, yeah. Bruce right before the 2006 World Cup. And so, um, you know, I didn't feel like I was going to get a cap, but that's like the big mentality. You want to just get a cap. You want to get on the field, whether it's for a minute or whatever. And um, I didn't get that chance, but I kind of felt like it wasn't going to come. But at the same time, it was a great experience. I mean, I was there with 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 legends, you know, the national team, yeah. uh, you know, Claudio Reyna, you know, Trundolo, Landon. I don't know if Landon was there that game or maybe I can't remember. Josh Wolf was there. Anyways, there's a lot of big, big time players that you obviously watch as, as, a, as a young kid growing up. And it was a, it was a great experience. And then so in, do, do they sit you down? Like, does, does Bruce Arena or any of his staff sit you down and say, hey, you're in the camp just to get the experience, but you're probably not going to play? Or do they <laughs> never tell you anything specific like that? They didn't tell me anything like that. Um, it's just kind of like a feel out process for myself. I feel like I'm pretty good at reading the situation a lot of times. Right. And and I kind of felt like maybe I get some time at the end of a game, but you know, I, I, I thought it might be unlikely. But having said that, I, I mean I came in with the attitude like, let me just try and play well every day in training, show that I belong and and maybe, you know, an opportunity will come in the future. And so um, both in that camp and in, and I think in 2005 in the, I think it was March or something like that. We played against Germany right before the world cup. Um, and I got called in, it was, it was a game in Dortmund. I don't remember how the call came about. I think that time I might've heard from Hamburg directly. Right. Um, but, uh, but at the same time I knew it was kind of like a tune up game for the world cup and I knew I wasn't going to play in the world cup. You know, I wasn't playing, um, regular games for the, for, for Hamburg's first team at the time. And so I, I, I came in with the kind of the same attitude. Let me, you know, show that I can provide some kind of, uh, help and, and kind of fit in with the, with the group. But, uh, it was still a pretty cool experience to be in that stadium in Dortmund, um, playing against Germany. Does it take the pressure off a little bit? If you're thinking there's no real shot at making the, the final roster for the world cup, you know, I can just like show out a little bit and not have too much pressure on me. Or is that not the thought process at all? That, that's like uh, maybe no. a non-professional athlete thought for, process. For me, it wasn't the thought process. It was like, it, it was really, I put pressure on myself because it was a goal that I wanted to get to, even though it probably wasn't going to happen in the next three, six months. But it was a goal that I wanted to get to the national team and, and be a, a, a full-time player for the national team. And so I knew that I wanted to perform well, whether it be in a game or in those trainings. And so 
um, you know, I, I still felt the pressure and, and, and there's no doubt that there's very few players and, and I wasn't one of them that can kind of come in and just feel right at home, right from the first, you know, minute of training. And so it, it took a while to kind of get used to it, but it's, uh, it's that experience that you acquire that I think gives you the opportunity. And I think it did help me that when I eventually did get called up with Bob in 2007, I kind of had a little bit more of that experience along with also, you know, playing time with Hamburg's first team. And, and so it definitely allowed me to perform at a higher level once I got called in with Bob. And then 2007, it all happens, right? 2007, yep. you get your debut. 2007, you score that goal in the yep. Gold Cup final. And yep. then I only realized this in doing a bit of research this morning. 2007, you also go to the Copa America. So yeah. no tournaments in 2006, but two tournaments in the summer of 2007. I, I'm shocked that that's how that went down. I didn't even know that you could be on the roster for two tournaments pretty much back to back, right? I think there's maybe like two days between the end yeah. of the Gold Cup and the start of the Copa America. I think that's right. I think we flew, if I remember correctly, I think we flew the day after the finals in, in Chicago against Mexico. I might be, maybe it was two days, but I think we flew the next day. But that, yeah, that was crazy. But the the funny thing is I played, I think I played 10 games in 2007 for the national team, which is, you know, a, a really high number for, for, you know, a number of international games that you can play in a year. Yeah. And, uh, and it being my first time ever on the national team made it even, you know, a higher number in that sense. But, uh, as, like I said, you know, the, the ascension in, in, within the national team for me was very quick. I, I played the first game against Ecuador where Landon scored a hat trick. So it was like awesome debut to be a part of, um, Landon was on fire, which, which made it inevitable for us to win that game. And so you kind of, you know, started feeling your way onto the national team. Um, then the game leading up to the net, to the gold cup, I scored against China. We played well, we won. Um, and, and I kind of started feeling, you know, better and better with the national team and, and, we played three uh, group games that we were definitely a better team, and I played in all three of those games, and we won every single game. We felt, you know, it, it just it was kind of like this, just stepping one step at a time to kind of feel more comfortable on the national team, and um, and yeah, I mean the the Gold Cup final put me my confidence at a, an all time high after that goal, uh, yeah. winning the Gold Cup, scoring the game winner. Uh, against our, our biggest rival uh, in our region, probably our biggest rival in the entire world. And I don't want to take anything away from that goal, but they left you alone at the top of the box, right? You had yeah, they, all the time in the world to hit that strike. To be to be fair, I think a lot of teams leave anybody on top of the box. It's like they, there's yeah. always somebody on top of the box that's open on corner kicks. And so, what's yeah. Going, I mean, so what's going on with that? Why why is it, it's it happens regularly enough that someone hits does. that kind of strike, right? So why yeah. isn't that person at the top marked? Did you, did you know, sneak up, I, for example? I, uh, no, I didn't sneak up. I was, I was there and I, it was funny because this is a story that I always tell is that the only thing I can really, really remember about that goal, um, is that when the ball went up in the air, cause it was in the air for such a long time, I had time enough to kind of just get right under the ball. And so I was a little bit, I think to the left side of the ball. And so I would have had to kind of side volley it, which is a much harder shot. Yeah. And so I was able to just kind of like stutter step a little bit to the right, maybe a foot, foot and a half. And just let the ball come straight down to my right foot. And I mean, anything could have gone wrong, right? It could have hit somebody. It could have gone over the crossbar or whatever. But, um, you know, it found the back of the net. And, uh, yeah, it was obviously a special day, special moment. But I don't know. I don't know why people leave so many people outside the box uh, wide open. I guess they, they feel like inside the box is a little bit more dangerous. Maybe they underestimated your technique. Oh, I think everybody underestimated my technique that day. Even, <laughs> even Landon, I remember telling me, saying, 
um, in an interview, he's, he said when the ball was up in the air, he's like, bring it down, cross it, pass it back to me. He had taken the, the right. corner. He wanted me to pull the ball back out to him so he could cross it again. And he's like, no, 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 don't shoot. Okay, all right, shoot. That's all right. <laughs> we'll, take, we'll take that. <laughs> hey, so there wasn't much of a break between the 2007 Gold Cup and the 2007 Copa America, but we're going to take a break right here to let you know about today's sponsor, Policy Genius. If you're wondering, can I buy life insurance during a pandemic? The short answer is yes, you can. Policy Genius, no, because they are in contact with life insurance companies on their platform every single day. They're keeping track of all the changes in the market so you don't have to. It means you can get covered quickly and for the best price. Policy Genius compares quotes from the top life insurance companies all in one place. It takes just a few minutes to compare quotes with the top insurers to find your best price. Doesn't have to take a lot of legwork. You could save $1,500 or more a year by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance policies. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork, all the red tape for free. So if you hit any speed bumps during the application process, they'll be there to take care of everything. So if you're one of the many people looking to buy life insurance, but you're not sure where to start, head to policygenius.com. Policy Genius will find you the best rate and handle the process completely. They'll get you and your family protected and hopefully give you one less thing to worry about. Okay, let's get back to Benny Farhaber. So I, I want to talk about this this Gold Cup Copa America thing, right? Because this has been a, a thing amongst uh, US national team fans for a long time is we've always wanted the US to go to more Copa Americas, but the Gold Cup was often sort of in the way, right? Um, and f- for me, 2007 is the one time where US soccer just went for it and said, yeah, we'll just send teams to both tournaments and we'll yeah. send some players to both tournaments. So, I mean, you said you played 10 games that year. Yeah. Is it... In your opinion, is it realistic to continue to do that again, to continuously do that? Or is was that a one off and not really a thing we should always be doing? Uh I can tell you I love that tournament. It yeah. was a lot of fun. Um and that was with us losing every game. So yeah. uh I think it's a great tournament. I love how South American teams play. Uh during that time, like I said, I had a lot of confidence. So i and, and the team that we brought was maybe I don't know, not even half of the players that played in Gold Cup and then essentially like a B team coming for for the Copa America. And so I felt like as much as it was my first year, I didn't feel like a leader, but I felt like a guy that I wanted to perform at a high level to kind of, you know, help the other guys that hadn't been around for the Gold Cup. Yeah. And And you I mean, you just scored that goal, right? You just scored that Gold Cup final goal. So I'm sure you were feeling yourself, right? Yeah, I felt really good in that tournament. I, I I still think that that Paraguay game, which was the second game, was one of my best games of all time for the national team. Um, you know, I, I'm sure very few national team fans go back and watch that game because we didn't have any su- success in the tournament and we, we ended up losing that game. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I felt great during that tournament and I, I really wish that we had, you know, competed at a higher level. We, we went up against Argentina. We go up one, nothing. We end up losing four, one. We, uh, outplayed Paraguay. Uh, they went up one, nothing. We tied in one, one, we end up losing three, one. And uh, and then we were already out of it, and we we played kind of our reserves in the in the last game and lost one zero, I think, to Colombia. So, um, you know, in in another in another day or another year or whatever, we could definitely send a, a very good a, a better team in terms of like all of the guys that we were missing during that Copa America and really go for a run at it. And it'd be fun to see it because it's yeah. uh it's it's a more even tournament than Gold Cup. Gold Cup, there's a lot of small teams, a lot of teams at the U.S. is should be head and shoulders above and and in Copa America 
it's uh, it's definitely more of an even um, even platform for everybody. So I asked Sunil Galati about this once, and he told me that um, it's kind of a FIFA rule that you have to send your strongest possible team to your confederation tournament, right? So I think the way that it went down in 2007, where it looked like the strongest team went to the Gold Cup, and then sort of half a strong team and half a B team goes to Copa America, would be the way that they would have to do it. But in your opinion, would it be worth doing that anyway if we were sending sort of a a, a team slash b team to uh well to i could tell you that that for me i think it helped um yeah i was able to go and we you know we played against top teams argentina paraguay colombia teams that you don't get to face very often um during you know during the course of friendlies the year you know there's no qualifying with these teams and so for me it helped i think it, even though we lost in those games it gave me experience it gave me confidence to be able to play against uh, you know, teams of that caliber. So yeah, for, I think, I think it is beneficial to individually to certain players to eventually, you know, help the team further, further along down the road. All right, I want to talk some big highlights, 2009 Confederations Cup, 2010 World Cup. Um, but first I want to talk Derby County. So, okay. <laughs> you made so the worst year of my professional career. I mean, do, do you look at it that way? I mean, because obviously it was, for people who don't know, it was not a good Derby County team, right? I think they only won one game, finished bottom of the, the Premier League. But you were a young player making your way, right? So, so uh, yeah, I'm really interested in the idea of what it's like to be a young player trying to break into a team that I'm assuming you know isn't very good. Yeah, so I didn't know that when I first signed. So the thought process was, I was in Hamburg for two years. Uh, six months or less than six months, maybe five months left, uh, in my second year, they changed the coach. The coach prior had been playing me with the first team, right. the coach that came in, hoop Stevens came in and took away a lot of the young kids that had been playing on the first team, sent it back to the second team. So the back end of my second year, I didn't play with the first team and I was disappointed. Um, and then I had the run with the national team, gold cup, Copa America team saw me, uh, you know, in Europe and they were interested. And so I told Hamburg, I'm like, look, if I'm not in part of the plans for the first team, then I got to go f- find somewhere to play. And so Derby County was one of the teams that was interested in me. I knew they had just come up from the, from, from the championship. And, and financially, it made a lot of sense. I mean, there was going to be more money in the Prem than, than I was making in Bundesliga. Right. And, um, and I thought, you know, a team that's coming from the championship, who knows what's going to happen, right? You don't know whether a team's going to go down, if they're going to improve enough to stay in the, in the Prem. But we all know... You know, in terms of money, the Prem, really, there's there's no one that competes with the Prem. Yeah. And then in terms of uh, the challenge, it's it's at I don't consider it the best league in the world. I, I, I still think Spain is the number one league in the world. But most people consider the Prem the most exciting league, probably the best league. And so for me to be able to play at that level um, was would be awesome. You know, and so I was ex- very excited about that opportunity. And once the you know, the paperwork went through. I was I was very happy and um, I went there. Billy Davies was the coach at the time and he, he kind of told me I remember my very first practice at Derby and I, I, I thought to myself, I'm like, I'm going to be a starter on this team. You know, I've, I came in with a lot of confidence. I felt good in training um, and, and I saw, you know, the guys that I was playing against and I thought, look, I'm I know I'm better than this guy, this guy, this guy. And, and I should be able to be able I should be able to start on this team. And so I was excited about that opportunity. Um couple I, I think the paperwork only cleared after maybe a week or two after I was there um, and and the team obviously didn't start off so well and Billy Davies kind of came up to me and said look I'm gonna kind of just bring you along slowly you didn't want to start me right away which I think looking back on it was bad for me for me it would have been better just throw me in there let me kind of 
you know, figure my way out, get games. And for me, not getting games is the worst because then you you kind of lose the not necessarily the confidence, but for me, you lose a little bit of the game fitness. Uh-huh. And um, and I was at a high at that point. And so I think it would have been better to play. But having said that, he kind of brought me along slowly. And my first game that I played was actually Newcastle where we won. Uh, I came in. We were already up one nothing. Kenny Miller scored a ridiculous goal. And we, we ended up winning 1-0. And, and so that was like the high of my time at Derby County. Um, where did, where did they play you? Like what sort of position were you playing for Derby? In that, in that game, they played me as an offensive midfielder. So I think they kind of brought me in, I think, for a forward at that time. A striker came out. I don't know if it was Kenny. But I think they, and they, what they wanted me to do was just disrupt their, their, their buildup. I remember that okay. game exactly what Billy Davies told me. But for the most part, we played you know, a 4-4-2, and I was one of the center midfielders uh, when I did play. Got which it. wasn't, which wasn't very often, unfortunately. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, the team, the team wasn't good. There was a lot of players on that team that I'd be hard pressed to say that they could play in my youth club team at U13, like in te- terms of technical ability. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a guy that I, I loved while I was there, Darren Moore. I don't know if you remember. He was uh, yeah, West Brom. He went on to be West Brom captain, right? Uh, what I don't know if he was a captain, but he was he was the coach for West Brom for. Oh, a while. that's it. Sorry, yeah, coach. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So wonderful dude has zero technical ability, right? Like if he, <laughs> if he was born in the U S he wouldn't have played soccer. He would have played, you know, American football or rugby. He, he doesn't have technical ability in his feet. Right. And so, but, but those kind of guys played on that team and there, there, there's several other guys. And so that team just was not a good team, unfortunately. And it was, it was bound to happen that we dropped. Um, when I was starting to get a few more minutes with Billy Davies, he got fired. Paul Jewell came in. I basically got almost no minutes with Paul Jewell, and um, and yeah, and the rest is history. I mean, it, it was a tough, very tough year. The the trainings weren't fun. Obviously, I didn't play very much, and I can honestly say that the one positive there was, you know, financially, I did get paid pretty well for for being a young twenty two year old at the time. I also I've heard you talk about how um, you were sort of back and forth between Derby and either Olympic qualifying or yep. Olympic qualifying build up, and it yep. really strikes me that. That's going to be a situation that a lot of young U.S. players have to think about, right? Or will have had to think about in the last year or so is do I go and join this Olympic camp, which is like, you know, it's off FIFA calendar. So the club doesn't have to release me. It's a weird thing to have to navigate as a young player, right? So would you have any advice for young players in that situation right now? I don't know, man. It's tough to give advice because every situation is so different. Uh, You know, I can tell you that mine, I I had, you know, I don't even know if I made the right decision because at the end of it, it, it didn't work out for me. So I was, Paul Jewell was already the coach for me. And I was, I felt like I was kind of improving every day, every week and kind of gaining a little bit more of trust with, with, uh, Paul Jewell as our, as our manager. And, um, and I remember thinking, and, and at the same time, Peter Novak was asking me to come in for qualifiers for the Olympic team. And I'm thinking in the back of my head, we're going to qualify for the Olympics, right? They don't need me to come back to qualify we're, we're good enough to qualify for the olympics this is which, back when we but, could do that yeah which which by the way has become a much different more yeah. more difficult task nowadays but yeah um so i didn't feel like i needed to go back and i didn't want to lose the momentum that i was building with darby county and i remember asking paul jewel and telling him i'm like no nah, i think i'm gonna stay and i don't want to go and blah blah and he's like yeah i think it's a good idea to stay anyways we played against sunderland that that uh that weekend at home and I was on the bench, and I remember the week leading up to Sunderland, I was one of the best players in training, and I thought, I think I'm going to get my chance this game. We ended up tying that game 0-0 against Sunderland at home, which was another bad team during that year, and he didn't put me in, you know, an op- theoretically an offensive sub that he could have used in that game. 
after that game, I was so disappointed. I went up to him and I said, look, I've done everything I could here. You still aren't giving me a chance. I'm going to go with the, with the qualifying team and play there. And so he said, okay, you do what you want to do, but this isn't, you know, this is going to hurt you essentially when you come back. And I go to the qualifying camp and eventually I get cut from the qualifying camp before the qualifiers actually start. So I literally leave after I tell Paul Joel that I'm leaving and I come back within a week, you know, (laughs) before the games even started. And so, you know, that was bad in so many ways for me where it it was, um, yeah, it, it wasn't the right decision. Um, it, it didn't turn out to be the right decision. I don't know if it would have made any difference anyways, but, um, it's hard to give advice because everybody's, uh, you know, kind of situation is different. And so you got to really, you got to really weigh the the pros and cons and kind of figure it out, but it's, it's not an easy situation sometimes. Yeah. I guess if anything, the lesson is that you can't please everybody all the time. Right. No, like well, that's you, for sure. <laughs> like Paul Jordan want you to go. Peter Novak wanted you to. Sounds like to have been been joined up the whole time. So the, you the lesson should be the lesson should be you should try not piss both people off at the same time, which yes. is what I was able to do. Just burn one bridge, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but you do go to the 2008 Olympics, right? Yep. Um, and I can't remember how the US does in that tournament, but I I remember it being an exciting team and enjoying watching them play. We were a good team, man. Yeah. Really good team. We had some really good players. We fit in well. There are a couple of decisions in terms of uh, the roster that we brought that I completely disagree with. Um, I have a lot of admiration for Brian McBride. I think he did a lot of good stuff, but he did. He was one of the older players that got brought into that to that team. He didn't fit in with the team, and it wasn't where we needed help. Um, we had guys like Charlie Davies, Josie, that a year later started in the Confederation yeah. Cup. And so guys that could, you know, handle that position on their own, neither one of them started. It was Brian McBride and, and Freddie that started a top for that team. And so um, there's a couple decisions like that that didn't make sense to me. There are other decisions that, you know, guys that, that went that didn't play. Um, I, I didn't. I only came off the bench every game. There were guys, um, you know, that probably played that I, I don't think should have. And, and we had a really good team. I mean, guys played really well. We didn't we didn't qualify through the group stages. We uh, we beat Japan 1-0 in the first game. We were up 2-1 against uh, Netherlands, who was a really good team at the time. Let them tie it in the last second on a free kick. And then uh, Michael Orozco got red carded in the third minute against Nigeria. And uh, and we lost 2-1. We almost came back and tied it up. Had we tied it, we would have gone through in first place of the group. But lost and, and that was it. Um, a lot of bad decisions, in my opinion, during that during that tournament. But what, what strikes me is, even though it didn't go the way you wanted it to go, um, definitely bonds were formed, right, uh, as a group. Like Just hearing you and Moe do talk about it um, on the yeah. episode of your show where you had him on, it really sounds like you formed a sort of you know team unit in that time that is really useful over the next two, three years, right? So yeah. it really strikes me that that's what we've missed out on with no 2012 and no 2016 Olympic teams. 100%. I mean, you, you look through that Olympic team and there's – there's a, there are groups of players that went on to play on the national team and they're all the same age, right? So, you know, myself, Stuart Holden, Marisa Du, um, Michael Parkhurst, maybe a little lesser extent, Brad Guzan, uh, Sasha Kleschen, um, Bradley, right? Wasn't Michael Bradley on that? Michael Bradley, yeah. Josie, Charlie Davies. I'm sure I'm missing guys, but there was, there were, there were a lot of really good players in that team that eventually made the step and played on the national team and being able to play in an environment like that and kind of get that camaraderie and that brotherhood, it helps. Even though we're not the veterans on the national team, it, it's like we know we're the next kind of group. And yeah. so 
we have the Landons, the Beasleys, the you know the Onyewu, Bocanegras, Demerits, Howards, Terundolos, all those guys. Um, and then we have our next group, you know, and we're learning from these guys, and we want to be able to uh, you know kind of form our 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 own kind of uh, a group and, and, and veteran leadership for when we are in that, in that position. So I think for sure that tournament helped us in, in, in that kind of camaraderie and, and forming a bond. So I want to talk about the 2009 Confederations Cup because you're, you're a big part of what, what happens there. I'm sure um, if people haven't seen it, I'd encourage them to rewatch the second goal against Spain in the semifinal. It's Benny Farhaber cutting in. I think you came on and played like left mid, right? And then yep. Dempsey went yep. up front, cutting yep. in from the left, coming drifting central, is it PK that you kind of fake out? It's PK and on the same dribble, I, PK and Puyol kind of both go for, go for it. And oh, so, excuse me for underselling it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you undersold it big time. <laughs> <laughs> and then you slip in Donovan who squares it, right? And it's Dempsey eventually yep. scores. I'm really interested. Um, I'm, I'm hoping you'll go here with me in, in terms of like talking a little tactical kind of stuff. I really loved in hindsight that Bob Bradley thing of having attacking midfielders playing on the wings, but then being allowed to drift centrally, right? And I, yep. my understanding is that, that that goal we just described, you were playing left mid, but you weren't breaking position, right? We're, am I right in thinking you were encouraged to come and drift from the yes. left and play as a central attacking midfielder? A hundred percent. And I actually had, I remember even having this conversation with Bob because uh, I knew that center, central midfield was a, was a more difficult position for me to get minutes in, especially if I'm coming off the bench. Yeah. Um, because you have, you know, the, usually those guys don't come off. You know, you need those two, whether it's Michael and Mo or Michael. I can't remember in that game. It might have been Ricardo Clark, I, I think. Was it Ricardo? Yeah, it might have been Ricardo that played in that game. But um, you kind of need those those pillars in there, you know. And so it's hard to come in in that position. Even if you sub one of those guys out to put an offensive midfielder, you lose a lot there. And so I remember him asking, kind of talking to me about, playing maybe as a left or a right. And I told him, look, right for me is very difficult because I don't have the speed to go down the line. I'm not like a mass, a dribbler. I need to see the field. And so playing on the left, I can come in on my right foot. And so he understood that. And when he put me in, he would put me in on the left and, uh, and he allowed me to come inside. He wanted me to give, you know, with when necessary, but at the same time in a way where I can come inside and make the, the game the way I see it. And so I remember Bob was really good about putting guys in the right spots, man. I mean, he he uh, he would he would the the way the team was set up was to be tough to break down, tough to beat, and then be able to find spots for our creative players to get the ball and and create plays. You know, whether yeah. that be um, Landon, Clint, uh, Josie, Charlie, uh, on occasion myself. Uh, you know. That's what he looked for. He looked. He looked to to create moments like that, and and that's what he did. I mean, in that tournament, that was the best three game, uh, uh, consecutive three game period that we played in, not only during my tenure, but in my opinion, since I've been watching the national team. Yeah. Um, we played fantastic against Egypt. We played fantastic against Spain, and we played fantastic against Brazil. Other than maybe the last like 15, 20 minutes when everybody was dead. After they tied the game, we really died out. But um, yeah, for, for yeah, those who man. don't know, the U.S. went two 0 up in the Confederations Cup final, and then eventually uh, lost three two to Brazil. Um, yep. I guess. I guess. Does your dad win either way on that one? No, no, no. He's all U.S. Yeah, no one was rooting for the, for Brazil that game. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so I want to ask you about the final because my memory is you don't play in one of those wide positions 
Michael Bradley suspended. I want right. to say you play central midfield, right? Yes, I played so, with Rico that game. So you, you and Ricardo Clark are central midfield. Does Bob Bradley ask you to replicate what Michael Bradley does? Or does Bob Bradley ask you to do a more specific Benny Fileharbor version of being Ricardo Clark's central midfield partner? Yeah, I think more of the latter. I mean, you can't – Bob never asked anybody to play, you know, a, the way that somebody else played, you know. And okay. so he understood that mine and Michael's uh, fortes were different, you know. Uh, Michael's predominantly more a defensive player that is able to, you know, run all over the field, mm-hmm. cover ground, make it tough for the opponent. He he can drive into – when with the possession of the ball, he can drive into the midfield and create passing lanes. But he's not a guy that's going to be – you know, finding the last pass and, and, and kind of, um, yeah, playing the ball for, you know, assist for goals and that kind of thing. And that's yeah, more, he's not going to get you know? PK and Priol to bite, right? <laughs> no, not probably not. I don't want to undersell Michael, but uh, <laughs> probably not. But yeah, so, um, Bob was always really good at that. And I think me and Rico made a really good partnership too, because Rico is a guy that can kind of run all over the place, cover ground. And so I had played with him in, in, in the gold cup final. Um, and, and, when he came on in the second half, it kind of helped me so much uh, to be able to kind of find my pockets more so and, and and let him do his thing as well. And so I knew how Rico played and, and it was kind of complimenting one another. And, 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 and we kind of knew our style of play so well at that point where, like I said, we're going to be tough to beat. We're not going to let, you know, potentially the best team in the world, um, you know, have easy, easy chances, create easy opportunities. They're going to have to work for them. And at the same time, we're going to be a team that when we have the ball, if we have the opportunity to go with with our with our talented players, create, you know, two on one situations, create counterattacking situations, we'll do that. But at the same time, there's moments in that game where you can see if we can keep the ball, have possession. We know Brazil doesn't want to defend. They want the ball on their feet and attacking. And so that was some of the things that Bob asked me to do, you know, whether it's finding the, the outlet pass or finding a pass that kind of secures the possession and so um you know that that game we, we played so well man i mean we, I, I still think we we deserve more for that game from that game uh brazil's a fantastic team and if we're gonna lose you know after being up to nothing it's it, it, it's to a team with that talent level um but i think we did get a little bit unlucky man if a couple things go our way that game i think we win the game hey this is daryl jumping in with another ad break when we come back we're gonna talk 2010 world cup Today's show is sponsored by Sunday Scaries. Sunday Scaries are specially formulated CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12. They're super consumable and easy to take on the go. I say on the go because they come in a nice little tub that sounds exactly like this. So these specially formulated CBD products with vitamins can help you in all sorts of ways. They can help you chill out, help you decompress, help you concentrate, help you focus, They also just taste kind of good. That's not the main selling point, but they essentially just taste like gummies. If you'd like to try Sunday Scaries for yourself, you can get 25% off your first order with the code SOCCER at sundayscaries.com. The link will be in the show notes. That's 25% off your first order at sundayscaries.com and enter code SOCCER where it asks for a coupon on the checkout page. Find out what product might be best for you because there's gummies, uh, there's a shot, there's some tincture. Um, Go to sundayscaries.com and use the code SOCCER for 25% off. Thank you to Sunday Scaries for sponsoring today's show. Now, let's talk 2010 World Cup with Benny Fauharba. And then 2010 World Cup, right? You, you make the roster. I can't remember the, um, how, how 
guaranteed you were to be on that 23 man roster to go to South Africa. Were you like firm enough? And I know like my, my assumption is Bob Bradley just likes you as a player because he keeps including you in rosters because he wanted you at LAFC. Um, were you pretty confident that you were going to be on that 23? No, I wasn't, you know, overly confident. I mean, I, I knew that it was, I would say if you had asked me, you know, before camp started when he brought in the 30, I mean, already there's, you know, there's only gonna be seven guys cut right from the 30 to 23. And so I would say that I had maybe a 75% chance of making the team. If you ask me that. Um, but I knew that I was definitely not a lock, you know, you could go through the 30 guys and probably get a solid 14 locks, you know? Mm -hmm. And so after that, it's, it's 11, make it seven. Don't, um, it kind of depends. But having said that, I mean, I knew that I had a good confederations cup. Um, I knew I had a good gold cup, uh, you know, I don't know how much people looked into the Copa America, but I always felt like I was a player that played up to my competition and, and challenges. And so whenever the bigger the game, the more I was ready for it. And so um, I felt like Bob saw that with like what you said. He, you know, he always brought me on. He even brought me into camps when I really didn't deserve it. I think um, when when I wasn't playing so much with Hamburg or or in Derby. He would still give me an opportunity to come in and and kind of stay with the guys and and kind of build that that camaraderie and 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 whatnot. And so, um, but you know, you're, you're never guaranteed. I, I had just been relegated from Denmark's uh, you know top division, and I was playing in in a lower level for the for the prior six months of the World Cup, and and so yeah, I mean, I, I didn't know for sure, and uh, you know, I, I I knew I was competing probably with a really good friend of mine with Sasha. Right. who was who was there in camp as well and um the the time that I knew for sure that I had made it was we played uh, a couple friendlies right the send off games and when we played it I think it was I think it was I know it was in Nashville I can't remember um if we played Paraguay I think it was but um they 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 had a meeting and they told I think it was seven players seven players maybe a few more um, that they were going to train the day before the game and not be you know, involved in the game. And when I saw the list of the guys that, that, that was there, it was, you know, it was like Boca Negra, uh, Gucci Onyewu, Tim Howard, Michael Bradley, myself. I think Michael Bradley. I can't even remember. I think Landon was in there. Um, anyways, I saw the list and we went to train and it was a fitness training. And so, you know, normally everybody's pissed off and like just just run around. And I remember Pierre Barreau at the time, who was our fitness coach, he said, hey, guys, we're going to do some fitness today. We're not playing with a ball or anything, but uh, you guys should be happy that you're here because that's a good sign. And so we all realized that meant we were going to be on the 23-man roster. And everybody was a lot happier about doing the fitness after that. So this is really <laughs> weird to me. And I'm guessing to a lot of soccer fans, it will be strange to hear that even at this level, that you're not getting told definite things, right? It's all like things you have to interpret and like, like figure out what all the hints mean. Is that, right. is that normal? Is that how it always is? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, so like, don't get me wrong. I mean, he, it wasn't, it was probably a day later that a, I think it was the night after the, uh, that last friendly, this the Paraguay game that I think everybody got told whether they were in or they were okay. out. And so, um, I think, you know, Pierre kind of found it, in his heart to like, Hey, I want, I want to get a good training session from you guys. So I'll give you the good news now so that you'll be able to provide that for us. But, um, yeah, there is a little bit of that, you know, cause I think, I think, uh, I think the coaches don't know up until that point, you know, I think they're right. really 
trying to make the decision probably when it comes down to like the last one or two players and you have like seven on the on the outside of that it's probably not easy making that that lot what is the best decision bringing this guy for team morale is this guy somebody that can come off the bench and provide something and and so it's it's a really tough you know balance that they they have to go through so i, I just don't think they had the answers but i i feel like once they decided they they kind of let everybody know well speaking of someone who can come off the bench um yeah. 2010 world cup um correct me if i'm wrong you don't play against england Uh, But you come off the bench at half-time against Slovenia with the US 2-0 down, uh, tie 2-2, or win 3-2, depending on how you look at that Moedu goal. Um, uh, You come off the bench at half-time against Algeria. It's 0-0, but need a win, uh, finishes 1-0. You come off the bench at half-time against Ghana in the round of 16 with the US trailing. And I believe you provide... A kind of like little flick to put Dempsey through to win the penalty to equalize. I think it was. I think it was the double assist. If the MLS double assist. I think I passed it to. I think I passed it to Landon, and then he passed it to Clint. But I think I passed it to someone that passed it to Clint in the Ghana game. In the Ghana game. All right, and obviously lose that game eventually with a Jan goal um, in extra right. time. But the the story I see is Benny Farhaber comes off the bench three times in a row and is part of changing the game for the US. Right. I'm not going to say. Uh, I'm not going to be an ass kisser and say, oh, it was all Benny, right? <laughs> no. But I am really interested in, um, especially the Bob Bradley side of it. Like when he sends you on at halftime in all three of those games, I believe, does he, does he change the shape each time? Does he change instructions each time? Like how much, how much detail does he go into in terms of like, all right, we need to change this, this, and this. Benny, I need you to do this, this, and this. Like how much can you remember? How much can you tell us? Yeah, that's the difficult part is remembering everything. So I'm trying to go back. So the first game was Slovenia and... Yeah. Which is maybe the biggest turnaround, right? Because it's 2-0 down and it's looking real bad. If we lose, the the tournament's over. So I remember me and Mo both came on at halftime. And I think one guy that came out was Jose Torres, I believe. Yes, because he would have started in central midfield, right? Yeah. And the other one that came out is what I can't remember. Was it Robbie Finley? It's going to be one of the strikers, right? So it's going to be Finley, Buddle, or Herc. Herc didn't start that game. Herc started the Algeria game, I believe. Okay. So I think it was one of the forwards. Yep. And so I, I, if I, if I remember, I, I would think that Mo went in the middle with Michael, and I probably slid over to the left, and he put Clint up top. That's my guess. That would make sense because uh, then that's similar to the Confederations Cup change, right? Yes. Where part of the but, goal is to get Clint Dempsey as like a second yes. striker and get him up there. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I think Bob's initial thought process, and I think he was spot on with this in my for myself. I think I was a guy that yes, you could put me on from the beginning of a game, um, but you get a different version of me from the beginning of a game as opposed to a person that comes in in the middle of a game where I know I can like I I have all the energy in the world I'm going to be able to play the whole game at full energy as opposed to like I'm I'm coming from I'm playing from the start everybody else has a lot of energy and so I was with the national team at that level um, during that time period I was so much better coming off the bench providing kind of a spark whether it be from behind which it happened to be a lot of times in that in that world cup or like the Spain game where we were up one nothing, but we're defending a little bit a lot, you know, a bit much during that game. And a guy that can come in and kind of maybe settle the game down a little bit, provide a little bit of possession, or you know, provide an opportunity to kind of you know seal the game like like Clint did in the in the two nothing Spain game. So I think that was great for me. And in in terms of the actual changes, I mean, if you go to that first game, we need to come, we need two goals no matter what, right? So you put Clint up top, who's 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 a poacher, you know, he's a guy that can score. Um, who's probably less of a creator than me, more of a goal scorer than, you know, a guy like Edson. I mean, especially at the international level, Edson or, or Robbie. 
and you put him, Landon, uh, on the right. I think Landon was on the right. Uh, I can't even remember now. But um, you put he Mo. De- he and- definitely is because he scores that goal coming in from right. the right. But from who the was right. playing up top then with with Clint at the time? That's what I can't remember. Josie? It- was it Josie? Yeah, maybe it was Josie. That, that sounds about right. Yeah, probably it was Josie. So then Josie and Clint, two guys that are natural-born goal scorers. You got Landon, who can do everything on the right, whether score or assist. You got me, who can maybe provide some kind of, you know, ball, final creative pass. And then you get, you know, Mo and, and, and Michael, who are more aggressive, can cover more ground than a Jose Torres as well. And so I think that was the thought process. I mean, we're, we're going balls of the wall and, and trying to score two goals uh, no matter the cost. And um and obviously it worked out. Like you said, we should have won three, two that game. We, we crushed them that second half. We deserve better. But having said that after the game, I remember thinking like, we just saved our world cup lives, you know, yeah. cause as much as we should have won three, two, we tied, we're still in it. We got to win the last game. All, all, all that matters is the last game. Now, whereas 45 minutes ago, we were out of this tournament. And so, um, I think there was like a positive feel for that game, even though we got robbed of that last goal. So here's, here's what's really interesting to me, um, as someone who's never played a high level of soccer, right? A lot of amateur soccer, no professional soccer at all, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but like what we do on the shows, we do a lot of tactical analysis. Like we'll watch and rewatch games and, you know, really try and figure out what happened. Yeah. Um, but the changes you've just described to me in terms of Bob Bradley's changes at half time, it sounds somewhat simple, right? It's just like get a more goal scoring player <laughs> up front, like have a few more attackers on. What, was there anything more complicated in terms of, all right, this right back often does this. Let's exploit this. Like, is there is there a level of detail there um, that maybe uh, I don't know it's just something that you don't think to explain outside of the group of the national team, um, or, or are things just simpler than maybe Taylor and I think they are? I, no, I think there are moments where where that comes across. You know, we I think a lot of times pre game planning that goes into it because um, you know I'm, I'm not going to be able to remember. Yeah. If, if that was or was not a, a case in the World Cup, which was, you know, 10 years ago now. But I could tell you wow. offhand that during my time with all my club teams, pregame planning, you talk about the other team. You talk about, you know, whether, like you said, their left back maybe goes forward way too much. There's times where we can find that, you know, gap if we win the ball and quickly play it to, you know, the right side of mid- midfielder or, or suck their center back out and then there's space in the middle. So those kind of conversations go on, no doubt. Um, you know, whether that was, my guess is it wasn't one of the conversations so much during that game, because what happens is when you're, when you're behind, it becomes more about yourself, right? Because the other teams aren't going to expose themselves at that point. If there is a left back that goes far too further, too far forward, he's probably not going to do that anymore. And he's not going (laughs) to be like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to go forward anyways, even though we're winning two nothing and now expose it, you know, just, just like any game you're up to nothing. You tend to, if it's a, if it's a, a, two equal teams, right? If you're playing Barcelona against, you know, I don't know, some, some crap team, Barcelona's probably still going to have tons of possession, score more goals if they're up to nothing. But if it's two equal teams, the team that's up to nothing tends to start being a little risk averted. You know, they're not going to send as many players. They're not going to, you know, bomb up the field. They're going to play more defensive. And so, and, and conversely, the other team's going to send more players forward and, and probably have a little bit more of the ball and, and and that's what happens. And so in, in that situation, I, I don't think there was anything in terms of what they were doing. Yeah. I think it was more about us. Um, I, I do guess, remember. A, sorry, I, I do remember a little thing, a, a little bit about um, him talking to like the back line, which has nothing to do with us going forward. But our back line, I remember in the first half was too high. Um, and actually, do we do we did Gooch come out that game or no? I'm, now I'm I, curious. I can't remember. 
Anyways, yeah, I just remember because I remember their second goal, our backline was really high and and they kind of and so I do remember a conversation about that. But, yeah, I think at that point it's more about us and like let's get our dangerous players into dangerous positions and and our, our most clinical finishers, you know, in the box and try and, and try and come back that way. And I guess there's only 15 minutes, right? There's just not that much time to go into, oh, into right. that much detail. Yeah. Um, so, all right. So 2010 World Cup, I assume is kind of the highlight of your international career because it's the World Cup. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I mean, in, in terms of what I achieved internationally, it, that and Confederations Cup is it, are very closely joined because it, it was really special, that run with Confederations Cup. Um, obviously, World Cup, I mean, everybody as a, as a little kid, I think that's what you dream of to play in a World Cup. So that was something um, amazing. And then in terms of like single moments, uh, I always compare my goal against in Gold Cup against Mexico, being in a final against Mexico and me obviously being able to score the, the game winner and landing in Algeria um, to make to help us qualify for the next round and win our group yeah. um, in, in the dying seconds. Right. It, it was amazing. And so I, I love that moment because I was so happy in that moment as happy as I was when I scored in the Gold Cup and I had nothing to do with that play. And so it yeah. just showed like the kind of the kind of team that that team was, you know, we were we were so unified and and we all wanted the same things. And it, it wouldn't have mattered if Tim Howard scored or if Landon scored. You know, we all would have felt the exact same way. So it was really special. I mean, that the the dog pile in the, in the corner says it all. Yeah, I, I rewatched it to see if you were involved um, like in terms of touching the ball. Um, and I'm, I'm sure you know that you didn't get a touch in there, up, but you were first the first unfilled player to pile on to Landon Donovan. That's right. I think some subs beat you to him, but you were the first unfilled player. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I was sprinting right behind him. <laughs> were you thinking, get on camera? I'm, I'm sure you're not right. You're thinking this is... No, nah, I didn't think it, about right? that at all. I was just, I mean, I, I don't, it was, it was like pure elation, man. I mean, it was, it was crazy. The feeling, it, it, it felt the whole, like the closer you got to the end of the game, you started feeling like worse and worse. And you're like all this work and we're going to tie, we're literally not going to lose one game in this entire world cup and not qualify. Yeah. You know, we're going to tie three games. And so you're just you, 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 like you start letting it sink into your mind that you're, you're going to lose or not lose, but you're not going to qualify. And then in the like, it feels like it was like the last second. I mean, there was maybe less than a minute left. Right. And so um, when Landon tucks it in, you're just I remember there's a picture <laughs> of him running and me looking up to this to the heavens, you know, and just thinking, oh, my God, that we we did it. I don't know how, but we did it. <laughs> All right, I'm going to fast forward a year. 2011 Gold Cup, I believe you get injured just before, so you yep. don't make the 2011 Gold Cup roster. Um, the US has that really, honestly, I know we lost, but really enjoyable game against Mexico in the final. Uh, for those who don't remember, Gio Dos Santos scores that incredible winner. Um, and then Bob Bradley is replaced by Jürgen Klinsmann yep. after that game. I want to take a moment and just look back at Bob Bradley's national team reign. Uh, my personal feeling is, looking back, we undervalued what Bob Bradley was doing. I feel like he'd figured out a way, like you talked about, to get the attacking players in the correct positions. Um, but I, I remember a feeling at the time among fans that like we need to move on to the next level. And for some reason that involved getting a, a European coach, right? right? I mean, I'm going to assume that you're pro Bob Bradley. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I kind of want to get, I want to get your feel on like, <laughs> was his era underrated? Oh, there's no doubt. Um, I think it was very underrated. I think he, uh, he kind of, the, the way he got the job, right. He was an interim at first, yeah. uh, intern first and, uh, and then got given the job, I think only after the gold cup. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it was almost like they were already trying to get Jurgen at that time, um, after they fired Bruce. And so, uh, it was almost kind of like, 
you know, you knew that they were after Jurgen, and then they kind of settled for Bob. And so people already kind of had this mentality of, you know, this isn't who we really wanted. And then Bob went and, in my opinion, did, you know, things that I had never seen with the national team. And like, look, Bruce had a, gr- a great time with the national team as well. He had, you know, in, in 2002 was the team was playing at a ridiculous level. They should have beaten Germany as well. But um, I can only speak for when I was with Bob and, and Bob was able to get the best out of players. You know, it didn't matter. And, and there were guys with personalities. I mean, Clint's a personality. He's he's a, he's a guy that he was able to get the best out of and, and, and yeah. kind of, you know, he he was he didn't steal his great, phone, right? <laughs> no, that was Peter. Um, <laughs> but I can tell you, Clint was like a great teammate as much as like he is. He is a, a difficult person, right? Like mm-hmm. he's a guy that has his thoughts. And if somebody doesn't think the same way as him, then he, he's going to he's going to, you know, He's going to have that he's, – he's comfortable with that kind of environment. But but he, Bob got the best of him. Bob got the best of Landon. He got the best of plenty of other players. And so and he was able to create uh, a feeling that we all had, that we were in it together. And I think, like I said, in 2010, that's a perfect – that goal against Algeria is a perfect showing of, of what we were as a team. Um, and so it's, uh, it's, it's a pity that Bob you know, got let go. I, I, I'm even more disappointed – for myself that in 2011 I got injured and didn't play in the last tournament that he was part of. Um, and, and, and it's, and it's really, I mean, if you, if I go to a personal level, I, I started playing my best soccer in, in 2014, 15 and 16. And, uh, you know, I really wish that, you know, Bob was there cause I, I'm sure he would have been calling me up for the national team during those moments of my career. And so, um, that's disappointing, but, uh, you know, in, in, in terms of like the grand scheme of things, I definitely think that Bob should have gotten more, um, more time. First of all, he should have kept staying as a coach. Um, and, um, and, and I don't think he gets appreciated enough for the things that he built and the things that he kind of, he, he left it in a very good way, um, yeah. when he left. So, Hey, one final ad break here before we talk about the coach that replaced Bob Bradley. Today's show is sponsored by Hydrant because staying hydrated is important. I didn't ask Benny Fellharbour about being hydrated because it's too obvious of a question, right? Everybody's got to stay hydrated, especially when you're playing for the US national team. But even if you don't, you should stay hydrated as well. I know from personal experience, if I ever think I'm feeling a little sluggish, maybe I've got a bit of a weird headache, it's usually because I am not hydrated enough. And I can honestly recommend that Hydrant can help you in that department. Hydrant creates flavoured electrolyte packets. You mix them directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Um, Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium and zinc. These help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day day and i know when you hear about the electrolytes your body needs the first thing you think of is idiocracy they just took it too far and started giving it to plants actual human bodies really do need electrolytes to stay hydrated for 25 percent off your first order go to drinkhydrant.com soccer that's drinkhydrant.com soccer for 25 percent off your first order I will put that link in the show notes. But once again, it's drinkhydrant.com slash soccer. Thank you to Hydrant for sponsoring today's Total Soccer show. Okay, let's get back to my conversation with Benny Fahaba. We're about to talk about the Jurgen Klinsmann era 
and then the Bruce Arena era, including that game in Trinidad. Um, I, I kind of warned you before we started talking, just to make sure you were cool with this, but we'll, <laughs> I want to ask about the Jurgen Klinsmann era, because you yeah. go from being you know, a regular call-up um, and a regular, if not starter, then you can almost guarantee that you're first off the bench, right? Um, but it seems like uh, not many caps under Jurgen Klinsmann and eventually not in the team at all. I did a bit of research beforehand and... Uh, I think there were like some quotes exchanged through the media, right? Where you were sort yeah. of basically saying, I've done everything he's asked me to do and still no call up. And I just don't know why. So, yeah. I mean, do you have any insight now with a few years hindsight? Do you have any insight into why you were not involved as much under Jurgen Klinsmann? I mean, I have the same insight that I had back then. I, I just think that there's coaches that, you know, like certain players. Um, I'm not talking maybe personally as well, but I'm talking about more, you know, what they can provide on the field. And, you know, as much as I think I, uh, I don't know if the right word is rewarded Bob for his faith in me. I think that I, you know, when he brought me in, I, for the most part, I, I played well, you know, and I, and I offered something, um, and, and kind of, like I said, I don't know if reward is the right word, but, but did what he asked when I, when I came on the field and with Jurgen, there was, he never really gave me that opportunity. I mean, he called me up to three January camps and, you know, that's, I think what a lot of people said, say, you know, like, Hey, he gave you three January camps. Um, but, but if you ask, I can only tell you my perspective, the very first January camp that he brought me in 2012, I played really, really, really well. And that, that was, that was my, out of all the January camps that I've ever gone to, that was my best one ever. And I was very motivated by that one because it was the first time that Jurgen uh, was the coach, right? He took over late 2011. He called me up January, 2012. I knew I needed to make a good impression, which I thought I did. Um, and then we played two games. We played one game against Venezuela where he played me as a supporting striker, which is not my position. I think I played okay. Didn't play great. Played okay. Nobody really played really great. Uh, we ended up winning one zero next game. We played against, I think Panama away. I didn't play at all. Then I never got called up again. We, uh, we won MLS cup in 2013. Then he called me up in 2013. I had an okay camp. Um, I played about, 30 minutes against Canada. I played okay against Canada. We tied zero, zero. Uh, and then in 2014, he called me up again or yeah, 2014. Sorry. I I guess I I messed that up. I think in terms of uh, the the club teams, but, uh, in 2014, he called me up again after we had won MLS cup. We won MLS cup in 2013. So he called me up against 2014. I had a bad camp in Brazil. We, we trained in Brazil. I had a bad camp. He cut me. And to be honest, I told him, I'm like, fair enough. You cut me. I didn't play well, but I'd never understood why after 2012 and 2013 January camps, you never called me in during the season when I'm, I'm a, I'm a much better player when I'm fit. And I'm, that's my biggest weakness is my fitness. And during January camps, you don't get game fitness during the off season. And I just don't understand why you never called me into any camps so I could show you what I'm like during in season form. And he's, and he, you know, I don't know what he was thinking is that, but in, he decided, you know, fair enough. I understand what you're saying. I'm going to keep you along for the game, which was against South Korea. Anyways, he kept me. He decided to uncut me for that camp after he had already cut me. I played against South Korea. Didn't really play great either. That whole camp I didn't play well. And, and fair enough, I should have been cut after that game. But it didn't happen. 2014, I have a pretty good MLS season. 2015, I have a really good MLS season. He still never calls me up. And then 2016 is when there were some of those words in the uh, MLS media day where they asked me, you know, are you ever going to get called up? And I said, I don't think so. I mean, I haven't got called up in two years. I just had the best, you know, couple of years of my career. I just don't see it happening. So, um, you know, I, I just think Jurgen had his, his favorite players, whether he thought, you know, they were actually better than me on the field or maybe better 
um, you know, teammates. There's there's guys that aren't going to play right in a 23 man roster. There's guys that aren't going to play. And sometimes it's better to bring in guys that are just like they're completely fine with not playing. Um, I, I always wanted to play. So if I'm a 23 man yeah. guy and not playing, um, I don't think I'm going to create any problems with the team, but I'm going to be a guy that's going to be like pushing to want to play. And right. maybe he didn't want that, you know. Uh, you know, I know he brought in a guy like Mix Discord, who, in my opinion, is not the player that I am. But he brought him in. He he brought him to the World Cup, and I think from everything I've heard, he was a guy that was comfortable just not playing. You know, well, he was a guy. Happened, right? Wasn't he the only player? I think he, I think he, he was got the only the guy. Ten shirt, but didn't play at the 2014 World Cup. Yeah. So <laughs> I mean, there's even stories from guys that that were in camp with him that he was he was very comfortable being that role, which is is great. Uh, and so maybe that's what Jurgen would rather have a guy like that that's just okay with you know having the role where he doesn't play. He's he's um he's he's comfortable being a role player and a and a, and a training player and that kind of thing. And so um, I don't know if I'll ever get the answer as to why, but I just think in general he just didn't think I was good enough. I, that's that's the only answer I can come up with. I've got a slightly personal question theory. Do you think it's anything to do with Andy Herzog? Because I did read a story that you turned down an Austria call-up when Andy Herzog was the coach, and then Herzog was obviously Klinsmann's assistant for a long time. Like, yeah. it, was there any sort of Herzog was kind of like, ah, that guy, that guy I don't said think no. so. No? So the, the Andy Herzog story, um, first of all, I mean, I've met Andy. He, he seems like a really nice guy, right? Okay. So first, I, I wouldn't think that would be in his character. Okay. Second, the Andy Herzog story was – when I first went to Germany, um, and I wasn't part of the national team, obviously yet, uh, their rule was four. You can only have four non-German players or non-European players. Sorry, right. four non-European players on the roster, and there were four at the time. I would have been the fifth for Hamburg when I first signed there, and th- there was thoughts of them selling Medi Medavikia, who was an Iranian player at the time on the team, and they didn't sell him. So then I was an extra. So in order for me to be able to play on the first team, I needed a passport. And Austria was interested in me. My grandfather was born in Austria. His family left Austria during World War II to Brazil. And so I have the possibility of getting an Austrian passport. Uh, I went. Uh, Herzog was the technical director, I believe, of the Austrian national team at the time. And he asked me to come and, um, you know, visit the team, watch a game. I went. I saw. Um, I was, you know, uh, excited about the possibility. But at the same time, like I've lived in the U.S. for uh, 14, 15 years of my life at that time. Uh play with the under twenties, I would, I would want to play with the national team for yeah. the U S. And so I, I turned it down. I told them, look, I appreciate it. Um, I know this would help me in my club career in terms of having a EU passport, but I'm going to, you know, wait and see if I get a call up for the national team for the U S national team. And that was it. Um, I don't think that he held a grudge on me because of that. And I definitely don't think that would have been a reason, you know, for, for not calling me up. So, uh, I, I put it squarely on Jurgen's shoulders that he didn't call me up because he didn't, you know, think I was good enough. Fair enough. Um, all right, but then national team career is not over. <laughs> so yeah. Bruce Arena obviously takes over two games into 2018 World Cup qualifying, and you're back in the picture, right? Um, Sasha Question's back in the picture as well. Right. And for me, it was almost like, oh, here are two players that we'd almost forgotten were a possibility could be these attacking midfielders for the U.S. national team. And obviously, I've got to ask about Trinidad um, in a while, but I do want to take us back to. Some of those games before Trinidad, I actually, I'm sorry, I can't remember which ones you were involved in. But there I was, was some... only I was only involved in January camp. So the two games in January camp again. So it was oh, against okay. Serbia. We played Serbia in San Diego, where I came in off the bench. Yeah, and we played against Jamaica in Chattanooga, where I started and assisted Jordan Morris. We won one zero, and I assisted Jordan Morris. Those are the two games that I played with Bruce until, and then he never called me into any of the uh, qualifiers. 
And I believe he never called in Sasha either, which was it was it was surprising because we we thought that we would have been one of the two players that, you know, one of us would have gotten the opportunity to play in the midfield. Because I remember Bruce saying um, that what was missing was some creativity in the midfield during the Jurgen era. I think Jurgen was trying to play Michael almost as like a 10 sometimes, which obviously doesn't suit him as as well as playing as, as the six or a little bit deeper. Um, and so Bruce wanted to, you know, get somebody more creative involved. And we thought me and Sasha thought like, great, one of us will start. Maybe one of us will be on the bench. And, uh, you know, we, that didn't have after the January camp, we, we didn't get called in until I got called in for the last two games. So was that surprising? Cause it was what Panama and Panama at home and then Trinidad away. So was that surprising when you were called in for that, that round of games? Yeah, it was really surprising. Um, you know, I, I got a call from Dave Sarakin at the time and he told me, that they were thinking of bringing me in. And I said, look, Dave, I mean, if I get called in, I'll give you everything I got. I mean, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, it, w- it was almost like a, it was, it was a, a phone call that I felt, you know, a lot of pride in receiving, but also a little bit of disappointment because at that point you're thinking like, gosh, why didn't you just call me in for like some of these other games so I could at least like build some rapport with the guys. And yeah. Uh, anyways, but at, at that point, like that's the pass. And, and, and I said, look, call me in, I'll do whatever it is, whether it's, you know, play 90 minutes, sit on the bench for the entire game, you know, help other guys be a training, uh, a practice player, like whatever it is, I'll come in and try and help the team. Um, and so I was very, ex- you know, excited about that and, and thankful for the opportunity. And, um, you know, I, I sat on the bench for the Panama game, was ecstatic that we won. Uh, you know, Christian had a ridiculous game. And I think, and I almost think that because we played so well in that game and everything went so perfectly, that became, you know, our demise a little bit because Bruce felt like he wanted to play the same players. Yeah. Um, same starting you know, eleven, right? Same starting eleven, which is tough in those games. I mean, especially playing down in Trinidad in the last game, it's it's muggy, the field is is heavy, and so um, I think you know hindsight twenty twenty, you would have switched some players up and, and given some fresh legs out there. But um, yeah, I mean, it was it was obviously a really disappointing finish. So you were on the field. For, I want to say you came in in the 84th, something like that. So you probably got five, 10 minutes um, yeah. of that game. Um, I guess I want to ask, like, can you can you talk at all about any of the, like the what happened in the last 10 minutes? I, I've honestly never gone back and watched it. And I think a lot of people feel the same way because it's, it's kind of painful to watch, right? Yeah. So also, I, I understand it's probably painful to talk about, but I feel like I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask you about it um yeah so, it i mean is, i'm assuming like what were the emotions on the field what was the what was what was happening in those last 10 minutes um yeah i remember you know waiting to come on and uh, i remember it kind of came between me and wandalowski to come on and you know try and do something it was our last sub offensive two players that we had on the bench and i just th- remember thinking to him like just whoever goes in just make a difference man let's try and do something here and, and save ourselves and uh, you know, I, I went in and I thought to myself, like, let me let me create something. Let me get in the box. And that and the game was sloppy. I mean, the, the field, yeah. as much as people use this as an excuse, the reality is the field sucked. You know, the field was terrible. It's not the reason why we lost, but it's also a big reason why it's harder to come back from a two nothing deficit. Um, it, it, the ball doesn't roll the right way. It's hard to, you know, dribble past people. And so, um you know, that, that was, it was what it was. The field sucked. And so did you get uh, any opportunities? Did you get close to? Yeah. So the, I mean, there was the, the, the one chance that I always remember is Christian Pulisic gets the ball out left and somehow I find myself in the box, which hardly ever happens, but 
you know, we're, we're pushing numbers for it. So I'm in the box. And for whatever reason, I felt like once he starts dribbling the guy down the line and I see he's going to probably cross it, I start running from the back post towards the near post and the ball comes into the box. And I'm thinking, how am I ever going to get this ball right? I'm a meter shorter than everybody else on, on the field right now. Um, but the ball somehow is, looks like it's coming right for my head. You know, the way the cross is coming, I am running perfectly. I already like I started the run before the defender. So I'm, I'm going to find that spot where the ball is going to land before anybody else. And I, I'm thinking in my head, as the ball's coming, I'm going I'm to score this goal. I'm going to head this into the goal. Um, the goalie was on the near post. As the ball's coming, the goalie's kind of backtracking towards the middle of the goal, right? And I'm coming from the back to the front, and I'm thinking I'm going to head it straight to the near post away from the, the, the movement of the goalie. And this is going in. And, I mean, you know, you know, people can go back and look at this, and it's crazy. But Bobby Wood is backpedaling from the near post to where the goal, to where the ball is about to land, and as I'm about to head the ball, Bobby just flicks it in front of me. I head Bobby's head. Bobby heads the ball towards the back post, but because the goalie is moving from the mid, from the back, from the front post to the middle, he has the the momentum to go and save that ball in the back post, and he takes it away from me. So you know, would I have scored? I'm not entirely positive, but. Um, it felt like it was it was bound to happen if if I was able to head that ball. So it's crazy, but um. Did you yeah. shout? Did you shout, Benny? No, I, I don't think I shouted anything. I, honestly, when I remember when the ball was coming, I felt like I can't believe this ball is actually coming to me. Right. And I didn't even see Bobby. I didn't even see Bobby like backpedaling. I thought, I thought the the person that I saw in front of me, I thought no chance like they can get to the ball. So I didn't even say anything. I'm like, I'm just gonna go and head this ball and. But somehow Bobby like backpedaled enough and, and headed the ball clear or like clear away from me. And um, yeah, just, I don't think even if I say anything, I don't think Bobby Bobby's going to, you know, he's a goal scorer. So he's yeah. going to try and get the ball into the net either way. I guess it's part of the scramble of the desperation of everybody just going for everything in the final few minutes. Right. right? Yeah. So, like, I mean, a lot of people see that as a good thing when everyone's desperate to score, but it, it can also be a negative in, in that kind of scenario. Yeah, um, no doubt. I won't make you relive Trinidad. Um, any, any longer, any longer. Um, and lots of career highs with the national team. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure you'll continue to talk about them on BSI, the podcast. And I believe you have, I know from Twitter that you have a big episode that you haven't recorded yet, but it's coming up this week. It's coming up tomorrow night. We're recording tomorrow night. Hopefully we'll drop it on Friday. Um, is this going out today? This is going out today. Yeah. In probably okay, like so. an, maybe an hour after we speak, I'm going gonna, I'm okay, gonna to drop yeah. some ads in. I'm going to hit publish. So we're doing, um, yeah, so we're doing, uh, we're recording with Jeremy Ebobise. I hope I'm saying that right. I know some people say Ebobise, but I think it's Ebobise. And, uh, but Jeremy, you know, does a lot on the field, but he, he does a lot off the field. And I think with, with the current state of our country, I, th- I thought it was going to be a, a really interesting conversation with him. Um, and he's been very vocal with, with, uh, you know, anti-racism, yeah. which I think is, is, is a massive thing for me. And I, I assume a lot of, of, of white Americans because I've always considered myself not racist, but I, I I've, I've grown to realize that's not enough, you know? And so it, we have to be anti-racism in, in, in our, in our thought process and our actions nowadays. Um, because the reality is that, you know, the white man, woman, um, has to, has to be the one to, to be proactive. And, um, it's, it's not on, you know, black people to make the changes that we need in, in, in the country right now. Um, and so the people that are in power, the ones that have to make it fair for everybody else. 
And so um, we're, we're going to bring him on. We're going to have a little bit of a you know, roundtable discussion where you know, he shares us his experiences. I'm sure Ike will share some of his experiences as well. Me and Sal will listen, hopefully learn, ask questions. Um, I, I'm hoping to ask a lot of questions that maybe other white people uh, have and, and, and hopefully can get answered. Um, I, I've always been a very objective person. So for me, the thing that's frustrating about the situation is that you, you feel like a lot of people and myself included say the right things, but what can I actually do to change stuff? And so that's what I really want to find out. And so it'll be interesting to talk to Jeremy. Um, you know, I, I, I get a little bit emotional just talking about this stuff because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not black and I don't know what it's like, but I, I hate, um, inequality, man. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And so, um, It'll be interesting to talk to him and, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Okay, so that episode should come out Thursday, Friday? I think it'll come out Friday. We record Thursday night with him. Okay, so I would encourage all of our listeners to, uh, to go and give that episode a listen. Um, it, I mean, it is like a very special episode, right? It's going to be yes. slightly different to the, to the usual BSI episode. But I'd also yes. encourage everyone to listen to all the other BSI episodes as well. Appreciate that, Daryl. Um, Benny, thank you very much for taking the time uh, to talk to me today. And thank you to your son for not waking up throughout this entire interview. <laughs> I, I hope he's not awake. I can't hear, I can't hear him with the headphones on, but I'm going to go check on him now. <laughs> yeah, this would be terrible if we publish this and there's, there's a baby <laughs> crying for the last 30 minutes. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but seriously, thank you for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Um, and I'll, I'll continue to listen to BSI. Thanks so much, Daryl. Appreciate it.